And uh, if you've just joined us, it's really special this morning. I've been really excited all week, actually, because we've got Pastor Fatima here. And, uh, and their husband, uh, Pastor Ossian, is here as well. So they lead together uh, God's House International Church in the centre of Bristol. They, they've got a building in the, just behind the bus station in the middle of Bristol. And uh, Alice and I love going there. Our kids love, love going to that church. Um, and it's really special, actually, to partner with them in, in the city. You know, one of the things that we love about this city is the church in the city feels very unified. And um, so uh, some of you will know, our sort of, I guess, our sort of areas of partnership with God's House and uh, are around mentoring people coming out of prison. So mentor me. Um, Austin goes into the prison regularly as part of that, together with Silas. And, and Fatima, um, together with Silas and Lee Barnes from Holy Trinity, uh, they lead a, um, a church leader's prayer that happens three times a year. It's going to have all the church leaders in Bristol come together to pray for the city. And uh, so it's just always, it's always a real joy. And I'm really grateful that they've been able to come out on a Sunday. Often it's hard for some, to get someone to their church on a Sunday morning. Uh, and I'm particularly grateful that you've, that you've come to join us this morning. So Pastor Fatima is going to speak to us now. And I'll take a socially distant sidestep. And, um, and she'll come and speak to us. So let's, let's pray and, and just say, Lord, we want to thank you for the, for the church that we're part of in the city. And in your body of Christ around the world, this extraordinary body that we're part of and we welcome um, Fatima here this morning and we pray that you speak to her through us, you feed us, you equip us as your church as we look at the, the word of God together. Amen. Good morning, good morning. It's great to be here and I want to say a special thank you to Chris and Alice for having me here this morning and for the whole church and I thank God for what he is doing Despite the challenges of our day, the season we found ourselves in, God still reigns, God is still doing wonders, people are still coming to Christ, and we don't take it lightly that there are people who have lost their loved ones and some are still fighting for their lives in different hospitals, and we pray that the power of the Lord Jesus Christ will reach them as the church continues to pray. I want to say a special thank you to you, Hope Chapel. You are very special to us, and we thank God for the times that we have been doing stuff together. Uh, we thank God even for the heart of your pastors. We remember one of our international Sunday gatherings. We had uh, Pastor Chris, uh, who you uh, know is Chris. He came and ministered to us. We enjoyed being with him, and, and we've been in their home as well. They reached out to us. We had lovely lunch there. So hope is really home for us. And I want to thank God for my husband who is with me this morning and uh, the church at large. Pastors are doing very well. As you all know, we've all found ourselves having to be online. So wherever you are watching from, God bless you. And I believe I'm just adding to the conversation that has already been taking place in this church. I've listened to some of the podcasts and I thank God that God is speaking to us. And I believe the church of Jesus Christ needs to remain relevant. We can't look aside. We can't watch what's going on and pretend not to be part of what is happening. That's how we are sold. Salt is only effective when it comes out of the salt shaker and goes into contact with whatever is being eaten. So if the story of our generation right now and the issues that are affecting people are things like racism and uh, this virus and many other things, we as a church remain the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must say something about it. 
But what we say is something that has to be inspired by God so that it can be effective. We are not just adding our own sentences to what's going on so we can tick boxes. That the church has also made a statement, no, 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 we are led by the Spirit. And whatever we speak by the Spirit effects change. Change will only come when we are speaking as we are led by the Spirit of God. So I want to say thank you to all those who have gone ahead of me in this topic of rebuilding. So when we are talking about rebuilding generally, we are referring to redoing. Anytime we find the prefix re, that means that something had happened before and something needed to be redone. So the Bible is full of constructs of rebuilding. And even in the narrative that we find in Isaiah 61, uh, chapter 61 in the verse 4, it tells us about one of the evidences or one of the workings of the Holy Spirit is leading us to rebuild what are called ancient ruined places where we now get the beauty out of the ashes. And I believe one of the areas that we need to rebuild is the thinking behind racism. And as children of God, we need to rebuild what has been damaged for centuries, decades, years and years, hundreds of years of a lie of the devil that has been now put into systems and procedures that now result in people acting what has been put in these systems that oppress people in the name of even, sadly, the Lord in some places. So in the work of rebuilding, from what you have heard with Nehemiah's case, it was rebuilding of broken walls. It was a physical thing that needed to be done. But there are also broken walls mentally that have been damaged by this belief. And in layman's language, I would just uh, say racism is just a group of people thinking they are better than others or a group of people thinking they are superior, or they, they, a group of people thinking that they should be getting privileges just because of the color of their skin. That's just to simply put it. Otherwise, we would need a thesis to just try to unpick this just term, racism. So I will leave it at people thinking they are superior based on the color of their skin. And with that thinking, they now act, and they now put structures that support and behaviors that support this thinking. And it wasn't originally so, because as children of God, I like to believe that all of us agree on the fact that Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created. And I believe all of us understand Genesis 1 26, where God says, let us make men in our image, let us make them out of our likeness. So that is our origin. And I believe when God made Adam out of dust, is the same soil really. He didn't make Adam out of a superior type of soil. And then when it came to people of color, then he went to look for where is black soil, where is dirty soil. That's why I will make them from there. We all came out of that same structure. God breathed life into dirt and it became you and I. So if we all really are convinced and believe this word of God, that we all came from Adam, one man, no matter what we look like now, we wouldn't be having to have these conversations. So where did it go wrong? The Bible in John 10, 10 tells us the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. It means the thief introduced a lie 
He is also described as the father of lies. So Satan introduced a lie. And being a liar, he now packaged it so well and sold it to his own people who believed in it. And they start introducing it and running with it and publishing it and making it like that's what it is. And normally when people are receiving privilege, they don't normally question why are we getting this privilege. They just enjoy the privilege. It is those who are disadvantaged that begin to feel something is wrong. Why are we being treated like this? So as a church now, because of, I think, the role of uh, technology, what has been happening for centuries, which was hidden, and people were getting away with it, now it can be filmed for everyone to see. And everyone gets a shock, but these things have been happening long before we were even born. So it is the right time now for the church to engage in this conversation to say, how can we be salt and light in this situation? How can we make it better? That's why the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, they instruct us and he begs us that by the mercies of God. He says, I am beseeching you, I am begging you, dear brethren, by the mercies of God. That means that by the ability that you get from God, by the grace of God, I am begging you. I want you to not think like the world, if I paraphrase it. Don't be conformed to this world. He says, don't follow how the world is doing things. And he says, I want your minds to be renewed. That means think again. Let your mind match God's mind. And he says, renew it. And then the verse 3, when we go there, you'll now say, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. So this system called racism, wherever it's formed in its expressions, it is trying to make people think more highly than they ought to think. And in this thinking more highly than they ought to think, they now think they are superior. They now think they are better. They now think they deserve better treatment, whether it's in the economy, whether it's in education, whether it's in health, in all these systems, in, in, in politics, in culture, wherever it's expressed, is this thinking more highly than they should be thinking? So you find people thinking, because we are white, we are better than those who are not white. So because we are better than them, we must get better facilities, we must get better treatment, us and our children and their, and their children. That's the reality here. And then Paul says, but you should think yourselves soberly. He's not saying don't think high of yourself. No, he's saying than you ought to. We need to think high of ourselves, obviously. If the Bible says we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, so I should love myself high enough, but not too highly now that I'm thinking I'm better than my neighbor. You get my point? So when we talk about this privilege, we are talking about how you are thinking. Because your thinking and your belief system is going to translate into the behaviors. How you treat people, how you see people. And then he says, you should think of yourself soberly. How do I think soberly? It simply means have a sound mind. What is a sound mind? It's the mind of Christ. How do I get the mind of Christ? I read the Bible and I follow scriptures. And I relate to my neighbor. Jesus made it easy. You love the Lord your God with everything that you have. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
This is what is being violated by the lie that is made white people. And by the white people, I'm not saying everybody, because not everyone is like that. We don't generalize, we don't paint everybody with the same brush. But there's a class of people, unfortunately, because they were in power and remain in power. Power speaks. Because they have power, they now put it into laws and procedures. So they now move around thinking more highly than they ought to think. But we ought to think soberly. That is what makes me love Jesus. If Jesus was a racist, I would not be part of his church. Simple. I would not follow him for two seconds. But because Jesus' love knows no color, no race, I love him. I can worship him. I can follow him. I'm still following him. Why? Because he included us. His gospel was the gospel of inclusion. Especially people in the margins. Jesus went for them and brought them in. He's an equalizer. And when he died on the cross, he did not choose to say, okay, I need a cross for white people only. Here, white people, this is the queue for them. They, this is their own houses. They must be big. They must be bigger. I will die for them this side. Then he goes to another side and says, this is the cross for black people. And then this is the cross for in-betweens. No, he shed this blood for all of us at one go. So the cross is a place where we are all equalized. We start from there. And now, I also want to share with you that this racism we are trying to deal with, to be honest, it's a situation that we cannot deal with overnight, over weeks, even a series of sermons cannot correct this that has been happening for centuries. But you know what? An hour at a time, a minute at a time, a day at a time of me renewing my mind to the fact that if I think I'm superior to anybody, I'm operating under a lie of the devil. Even we deal with issues of slavery. They are all based on the initial slavery of those who taught it. It's all sin-based. Then this sin was just packaged nicely and empowered to rule. So these people who made our ancestors their slaves were operating under a system of slavery which dates back to sin in the Garden of Eden. So all of it is sin. When you finish every other descriptions of racism, the basic definition of it is sin. It's sin-based. And then that sin is given money, the sin is given guns, the sin is given businesses, the sin is given schools, and expressed through and through. So if we're going to change, we need to sort out the sin problem. Because there will never be total uh, eradication of injustices as long as a man's heart is still wicked. We could march, we could sing, we could dance, they could change the laws... But as long as we have sinners in these structures, even with changed laws, they will still be looking for ways to take advantage, to have this privilege, a white privilege, is a reality. When I was in school myself, I was what was called a skivvy. As a skivvy, there was privilege for our white seniors. I was attached to two white girls who I was skiving for. And in skiving for them would mean before I make my bed, by the way, to go to a white school in Southern Africa then was actually a big privilege. I only was admitted there because I had an uncle 
who was a businessman who had a construction company that was left for him by people he worked for. And because they wanted something built for them at a lower cost, he bargained for me to be allowed. That's only how I went in that school. And as a skivvy, it meant it was a boarding school. Before I make my bed, before I sort out my books, before I prepare for my lessons, I go to the lady I was skiving for, for not wanting to mention her name. So I'll go to her room first and I'll knock and I'll wait to be invited in. And when I go in, I have to make her bed. I have to polish her shoes. I have to order her desk. I have to take her timetable and see where her lessons are and pick her books according to that order. And when I finish, I have to make sure she, she, her toilet is clean, everything is done. The school had cleaners, by the way. But we did have to ski first. as training. I don't know what they were training us for. When I finish my skivvy duties, I have to go and sort out my own room and everything. Then I come back to her room to take her books. When I take her books, I now know where her lessons are. So I would go to my class. When I'm at break time, I check her timetable again and check. That was a skivvy. And that was expected of us. Skivvies had no voice. And it's the same system because whites were better than us. It was like, I am paying for being that school when fees were being paid on top of that. And with time, because of more black people coming into this school, the whites left and built another school where our parents could not afford. And even in that school where I was skiving, there was privilege even in sports. I really, really wanted to play hockey. That was my desire. But hockey was made a special sport for white people. My parents were not able to afford a hockey stick. So I couldn't be taken in. I just watched from a distance. So was rugby. Rugby was made a special sport for white people. Why? Because our parents could not afford rugby shoes, rugby jerseys. So what did we do? We only go and cheer from the margins. The only sports that were left for us were athletics. You run, you don't need special equipment. You just need to run. Or sports like football where they didn't need a lot of these things. So we were already removed. As black kids in the school, we were already kept. There were certain areas which were not for us. And it lived on and on and on. And it's going on in the systems of our lives. It's still carrying on, but it might be hidden. And when we were in South Africa working in the bank, my bank, sorry to say, was racist in many, many ways. And because of education, I was working there because there was affirmative action. It forced them to have a certain number of black people to work there so they can tick the box that we are there. And we find ourselves in places that people are putting us in these places, not because they believe in us, but they must tick boxes. We are like decorations in some places so that they can also be color, black. But we are not naive. We know these things. Our liberator is Jesus Christ. And that's why he has allowed this world to be shaken at the minute so they can be ordered. So how do we renew our minds? My own renewal of mind was to take away bitterness and offense and resentment in me and not to uh, say every white person is like this. 
It took renewal of mind for me to know that, no, there are some who are good out there who care for us genuinely, just because I fell in the hands of those who are fake. So we want to say to us, as we are in this uh, journey of transformation, of renewal of mind, of us not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, what is your role? What can you do to make a difference? Jesus gave a parable in Luke 19 of a man called Zacchaeus. He reached out for Jesus. This man had a lot of privilege and advantage in society because he had power. And that power that he had made him collect more than he ought to. But when he heard about Jesus, he realized what he was doing wrong and he reached out. But what happened with Zacchaeus is found in Luke 19.8. After his transformation, he said, Master... This is what I'm going to do. I've realized where I was going wrong. I've renewed my mind. I wasn't doing things properly as a tax collector. I was overcharging. I used my position to my advantage and became better than others. But he said, I'm going to give it back. I'm going to cause restitution for what I have done. So here we see the action. Unfortunately, people are saying, let's talk. We want to listen. We are talking. They are listening, but they are not hearing. How do we know they are not hearing us? We don't see the action that accompanies the listening. What's the point of sitting in forums where we are talking our stories? I can spend three days telling you my experiences with racism, but it's not going to happen. I can talk to you about the scramble for Africa. I was a history major, teaching history in many schools and many other things. I can sit down with you. In uni, when I was doing a master's in practical theology, one of my main subjects was church history. In church history, I saw injustices. I saw how God cho chose to use a man who was outside of the class in Azusa to bring revival. I know these things, but how will it help me to just talk about the history if we don't say what is the way forward? Our way forward, according to Zacchaeus here, is to repay back when I say payback, I'm not saying let's reverse racism now and you now become uh, people whom we are oppressing and taking from you. I'm saying let's share what we have. What do you have that you can empower me with? It's not you who did it. Yes, it's your ancestors who did it, but you are still benefiting from it. They left you in their will. Some people inherit millions, some thousands, some little bit. What can we share among ourselves, even as Christians, some churches are much richer than others. Some churches are suffering. How can you empower us with resources, books, materials, different things? What's in your house that you can use? When you go to your workplace, how can you pay back? Paying back doesn't mean you going through harshness. No, it's you educating others that this is wrong. That's paying back. You are helping correct the story. Moses was told, what is in your hand? And when we look at the story of Bartimaeus even, he shouted for change. He was crying out, I need change. I also need to see those with privilege were saying to Bartimaeus, keep quiet, be silent. Why are you shouting? Why? They were enjoying privilege of walking to Jericho. They could see he wasn't seeing. And we are crying out, help us. Let's work together. Let's partner like us and Pastor Chris. It's partnership. Helping us to understand the other world. Us helping him to understand the other world. When we work together, we are stronger and we are more powerful. And in closing, 
I do have a scripture that I want to read and a poem. Now, it might be surprising for people to say in church is there. Is there my first encounter with the church here in Bristol when I came? I lived by the university, the university of Bristol. There was a church nearby. I won't mention its name because my idea is not to shame or name or make anyone feel guilty or all these things. We are not of that. But they turned me from the door and told me I couldn't come in. I got the shock of my life. That was two days after I arrived. And I was so happy to see it written church. They told me I can't come in. And I was so surprised. I asked the man, why can't I come in? This is a church. Then he said, I'm not part of that. She said, of course, I've just come from Africa. I'm trying to look for a church. And then he said to me, anyway, uh, tonight we are fundraising. Do you have money? Where will I get money from? I've just arrived, for goodness sake. Let me in. He was refusing. So I raised my voice. And I said, if you are going to be called the church of Jesus, you are letting me in. I said, call somebody. Surely there must be someone who can help me there. They wanted five pounds on the door. They were fundraising. Ironically, they are fundraising for Africa. And I've come from that Africa. Why can't you help me now with, for me to enter? I entered forcefully, sorry to say. And when I went in there, I realized what the problem was. There was no black soul in there. Nobody. And when I walked in, it was like something wrong has happened. You could hear a pin drop. Everybody looked at me strange and weird. And I said, huh, I see. This is where the problem is. They cannot handle my color. They can't handle it. So I walked a bit. I talked to one person. And then I left because I was made very unwelcome. So even here I found it. We find it in many places. But what I'm saying is, after we have found it, what will we do? Peter in Acts 10.28, the story when he wanted not to go and fellowship. God had to show him three times in a dream that you don't call people unclean. He was thinking it's animals, but God was preparing for him going. And in his own mouth, the apostle said, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. Paul, Peter is making it clear. It's against the law. So when they say it's systemic, it means there are systems put in place to separate people. And Peter was saying, that's who we are. We don't associate with you people. Because we are better, obviously. You are unclean, we are the clean. That's the spirit that is hanging around our city in some quarters, sometimes in our workplaces, sometimes in our homes, sometimes in our gyms, sometimes in our restaurants, where we are. A feeling of you are unclean, we are clean, which is a lie of hell. He says, so I came without objection now. God showed me I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. My brothers and sisters in the Lord, this is where the rebuilding needs to take place in our minds. That we don't consider anyone unclean, anyone impure, even sinners, Jesus came for them. How would they be clean if we who are clean don't allow them in? So he said, God showed me. We need to pray for our nation, our systems, our structures to say, God, visit them. Open their eyes so they can understand that. To be black does not mean you are unclean or any other race. And to be white does not mean you are white. In fact, this color coding is even wrong. If you look at me, I really am not black. I'm somewhere between caramel and chocolate, to be honest. And you are not white either. If you take a white sheet, it's different color. They got even our coding wrong. So we should not follow them, brethren. We should not follow them. So Peter is saying it for himself. 
I had thought it, but God. Then he carries on with the story. And then he comes to a place where he says, I have realized that God has no favoritism. 34, God shows no favoritism. My brothers and my sisters, I want to encourage you by the special grace of God that let's not show favoritism. We are children of the Lord. We are family in our workplaces, in our home structures, wherever we are in our church, no favoritism. No one is unclean. We are one in Christ. And in verse 38, that's when we are hearing how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good. We as the church, what is our response? Is to go about doing good. Reuniting black and white people is our responsibility. I don't want to be called black-led church, black-led that, black I don't want that color coding. I'm not even black. I'm in between if you look at my color, if you want to go that way. We want to be the church of Bristol. It's my dream that one day we'll all be known as the church of Bristol, the powerful church of Bristol. Then we can go and rebuild the thinking of our fellow brethren of Bristol who are lost in their thinking. How can we help them if we are still thinking carnally ourselves? How can we rebuild outside when we have not rebuilt ourselves? So what am I saying? I'm saying let's rebuild in our minds ourselves how we see people. Confront your own racism and say, how am I going to handle it? And if you are bitter because you have been ill-treated like me in many instances, we need to forgive. We go to the cross. When we go to the cross, both the oppressor and the oppressed find salvation. So that's my encouragement. And the poem I want to say is a poem called Black Prayer. I'm closing with this poem. It says, Lord, Lord, why did you make me black? Why? Why did you make someone the world wants to hold back? Black is the color of dirty clothes, the color of grimy hands and feet. Black is the color of darkness, the color of tired and beaten streets. Why did you give me thick lips, a broad nose, kinky hair? Why did you make someone who receives the hatred stay? Black is the color of a bruised eye when somebody gets hurt. Black is the color of darkness. Black is the color of death. How come my bone structure is so thick? My hips and cheeks are high. How come my eyes are brown and not the color of the daylight sky? Lord, why do people think I'm useless? How come I feel so used? Why do some people see my skin and think I should be abused. Lord, I don't understand. What is it about my skin? What is it? Why do some people want to hate me and not know the person within? Black is what people call when they are listed for doing wrong. When others want to keep them away, black is the color of shadows cast. Black is the end of the day. Lord, you know people mistreat me. And that's not right. Lord, People don't like my hair. They don't like the way I look. They say I'm too dark. Sometimes I'm too light. Lord, don't you think it's time for you to make a change? Why don't you do the wall of creation and make everyone the same color? Why, Lord? Then God answers. You are asking me, why did I make you black? Is that what you are asking me? 
Why did I make you black? Get off your knees. Look around. Tell me, what do you see? I didn't make you in the image of darkness. I made you in the likeness of me. I made you the color of coal from which beautiful diamonds are formed. I made you the color of oil, the black gold that keeps people warm. I made you from the rich dark earth that can grow the food you need. Your color is the same as the panther known for her beauty and speed. Your color is the same as the stallion, a majestic animal, is he? I didn't make you in the image of darkness. I made you in the likeness of me. And the colors of the heavenly rainbow can be found throughout every nation. And when all those colors were blended well, you become my greatest creation. Your hair is the texture of a lamb's wool. Such a humble little creature is he. I am the shepherd who watches over them. And I am the one who watches over you. You are the color of the midnight sky. I put the stars glitter in your eyes. There's a smile hidden behind your pain. That's the reason your cheeks are high. You are the color of clouds formed when I send my strongest weather. I made your lips full so when you kiss the one you love, they will remember. Your stature is strong. Your bone structure is thick to withstand the burdens of time. Look, the reflection, reflection you see in the mirror is made in my image. What you are looking at is made in my image. So my brothers and my sisters, we are made in God's image. You and I, your purpose requires you to be white. And God wants to use your whiteness to reach your world. My purpose requires me to be black. And God wants to use my blackness to reach our world. But when we are joined together, we make a powerful force. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. God bless you. I welcome Pastor Amen. Chris Beck. Thank you so much, Pastor Vatima. Can you stay there? I just want to thank you so much. That was really great just to unpack the scriptures and show us the scriptures and talk about your own story in South Africa and really close to home in Bristol. That was a strong challenge to us, a church not far away from us to... You know, and uh, it's a really good challenge. I wonder, could we could we pray together for the yes, city? Yes, 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 yes. Pastor Austin, would you mind coming as well? I wonder, every folks, if you could, if you stand, Pastor Austin, just just behind Fatima, then you'll both be appear on the camera. Oh, we'll be able to fit. Yeah, yeah then everyone. This is Pastor Austin. Wonderful to have him with us Hello, as well. Thank you. Yeah, and I wonder if, if you could stand with us in your homes, and we could pray for our city together. Conscious that you know many of you are outside Bristol, so you pray for your towns, your villages that you're in, or or, or elsewhere. But um, let's 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 pray together. Let's so do stand if you're not standing already. I encourage you. We we take responsibility and we stand on behalf of humanity, and uh, and we and we you know we join with Jesus in there being this gap between people and God. And, and Lord, we just want to say uh, we, we, we we thank you for uh, Pastor Fatima this morning and what she's brought, and uh, just thank you for her humility and for her um, transparency and sharing her life with us. We're really grateful uh, for opening the Bible to us and showing us the scriptures and sharing some of the vulnerabilities of her own, her own life and her own story. And we just want to thank you for that. Thank you for her, her, her courage in, in sharing that with us. And, uh, and we also just say sorry on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of the Church of Bristol, I and others as, as white people, we just, uh, you know, we just repent of, of, 
of those sins. We repent of the sin of looking down on other people and considering ourselves better. That's, we just say that's rubbish. We just turn away from that. In every fibre of our being, where we've aligned ourselves with that way of thinking, we just say, no, that's, 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 that's rubbish, as Pastor Fatima has shown us. And, um, and we agree with the truth that we're, that we're brothers and sisters equally created by you and loved by you. And to be standing here together now, Lord, because we want to join in. And I, I want to respond on behalf of Hope. I, I imagine, you know, knowing many of you, I know that your heart will be like mine. When, when Pastor Fatima gave us that challenge, saying partner with us, and, and you know, and, and it's, it's a big challenge actually. To, 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 this is not just hearing a talk, is it? This is saying we want to change things. We want to see, see, see things change. And I say yes to that to that challenge and yes we want to partner with you yes we want to do life with you yes we want to work together in the rebuilding of our city together so lord we do that in a, in a spirit of of humility and and almost like fear and trembling because we think who are we to do these things and and uh, but we, we, we we're doing it in confidence because we are we belong to you and we know that in jesus is the life and is the way to to overcome these things we say yes we want to rebuild with you we want to see bristol change the city we want to see these these these, these barriers broken down and and the city changed and we're we're encouraged and we're excited because it feels like your spirit is moving on this around the world and we're so grateful lord and we say yes to the momentum that there is already we say yes to these barriers going down and and, and being really changed we say yes to one church uh, in the city of bristol Amen. amen amen thank you thank you Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You too. Really good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. And as well, we bless um, we bless God's House International Church and everyone who's part of that, and uh, Pastor Fatima, Pastor Austin, and their family. And um, so great to be with you all. As I said a bit earlier on, we'd love to hear stories or, or ideas uh, that of what God is saying to you about how you can uh, contribute, what you can bring to, to, to see change in our city and, and, and area uh, in terms of racial justice. So do feed those in. Great, we'll finish there.